1: Nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.
0: Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon, a Democratic strategist and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC. My company, Bannon Communication Research, polls for and designs research based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon communications research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. Welcome to all of you watching me on Twitter or Periscope. Now you can watch the show by going to the link periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. That's periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick, a legal and political analyst for WGN in Chicago, and Nick Guthman of Our Blue Future and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldo join us in the second half hour for the Provocative Progressive Political Panel. Uh, we are uh, glad to have Paul on. Uh, as I said, he is a political analyst for WDN-TV in Chicago since 2008. He appears on all the station's newscasts discussing political issues of the day. He is the host of the political report Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Central Time, on which he interviews the leading political figures in Chicago in Illinois and in the United States. Paul has appeared on a number of TV news networks, including CNN and Court TV. He is the author of 13 books, including The Hidden Jury, which you can see in the corner there, uh, and uh, his first work of fiction, uh, Assume Guilt, which is available now. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Paul. It's always good to have you on the show.
2: Brad, always good to talk to you. We usually do this from uh, respective TV studios,
0: but uh, for now, we'll do it from home. Yep, just like everybody else. Uh, Let's start with this. Uh, Because of the downturn, you have... uh, Hundreds of thousands of people, uh, millions of people in the United States uh, unemployed. Uh, I've read today that the unemployment rate eventually could get up to 20 or 25 percent, which is depression levels. Uh, Businesses are not operating. uh, And besides that, uh, the states with less tax revenues now have to spend more money on social services. Uh, you know, give us an idea of the kind of uh, economic impact the crisis is having on uh, sh- on Illinois, and also uh, tell us what you think about uh, House Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's comments last week that he wasn't going to uh, do anything to bail out blue states.
2: Well, Brad, first of all, uh, good to be with you, and I know that you know a national audience may not know all that much about Illinois uh, or our situation. Budget-wise, we've had a real tough time for many, many years. Um, our newer governor, J.B. Pritzker, uh, trying to introduce a graduated income tax, a progressive tax that uh, will be on the ballot in November, which he believes is one of the only ways to get us out of this in tremendous jam. We're, we're way over $100 billion in debt in the pension, so the point is, things are not great. Uh, in the state of Illinois, Uh, in the city of Chicago, where the, you know, pretty famous now Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, has been working on a balanced budget. Uh, There's a huge hole getting blown into her efforts as well. So it's going to be tough and it's tough moving forward. What Mitch McConnell said, probably, listen, I'm going to give him credit and say that it was a negotiating ploy because he's too smart a guy to say something that stupid. Uh, And the reason for that. Is because first of all, it is not legal for a state to declare bankruptcy. It's not constitutional, it can't happen. So we'd have to change the law. And I'd love to watch his efforts in Washington when he tries to do that. And then secondly, um even even if it were possible to let a state go bankrupt, what what he's not recognizing, and that's why I think it's just strategic for him because he knows better, this is the money that pays for fire and paramedics and police and all the service uh, responders who we need to get paid for. If you go bankrupt as a state, you're done in terms of trying to get money, get funding, get loans, get I mean, so it's an absolutely insane thing to do. And I'll make one other comment, which is, The way the federal government works, of course, is that all the states pay taxes to the federal governments. It is the blue states like Illinois, like New York, who pay far more into the federal government uh, uh, bank than do the red states like Mitch's. So the bottom line is where you have, and Andrew Cuomo talked a lot about this, where you have New York paying hundreds and hundreds of millions more into the coffer than what it takes out, you have Mitch McConnell state of Kentucky taking far more out than it puts in. So it's just, and I'm and I I'm neutral on the air, but once in a while you hear something that's just ignorant, and that kind of comment is just ignorant.
0: Yeah, it is, but there's a lot of that going on in Washington, <laughs> yeah, D.C. Uh, anyway, let, let me uh, to another subject, uh, WGN-TV, Uh, has a vast regional uh, viewing area that extends much into the Midwest, uh, including uh, Michigan, which is uh, a big battleground state in the presidential elections. Donald Trump barely won it in 2016. And uh, Joe Biden is probably going to have to win it if he's going to win the Electoral College and uh, get to the White House. Uh, first of all, what how what kind of appeal do you think that uh, Joe Biden has in the Midwestern battle states?
2: I, I think the general sense of Joe Biden, and it always has been this way, is that it's it's look. Let's let me put it this way: the 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 election is going to be a referendum on Donald Trump, and it's going to be a referendum on how he handles this pandemic. You know, the the impeachment and all those other things are so far in the past they almost don't matter anymore. The bottom line is, if come the fall. People are out of work and they believe that it is President Trump's fault. I mean, look, nobody blames the pandemic on the president. But what he will get judged by is how it gets handled. So where you have states like Michigan, where you have the car companies who no longer can manufacture cars, now they have to manufacture ventilators and other things. So you see this shift happening. Uh, I really do think that in every election is a turnout election. I think Democrats aren't going to be thrilled about Joe Biden, some are, but I think if Biden can reach out to progressives, to the Bernie people, to basically unify the party, and it has been unifying, uh, then I think the referendum on Donald Trump makes it tough for Trump and where that ends up, by the way, and I don't know if you want to talk about a beat pick. But essentially, if you're Donald Trump, if you're uh, a Joe Biden, you need to pick somebody maybe like, we know it's a woman. So maybe it's Elizabeth uh, Warren because he reaches out to the Bernie people. Maybe it's Kamala Harris because without the African American vote, a Democrat can't win the presidency. A lot of different angles he can go. Some have talked about the, the governor of Michigan. I don't think that that's the smartest way to go, but somewhere in that world, I think Biden has to reach out for where his weaknesses are and who he needs to reach. It's what Barack Obama did in picking Joe Biden.
0: Well, there are two. Uh, there are two. I saw a list of ten possible Biden running mates last week, and uh, there were uh, two of them on the list from Wisconsin. Uh, one, Governor Whitmer. And the second one was U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. Uh, What do you, you don't, I get the sense you weren't enthusiastic about uh, Whitmer, but what do you think about uh, Tammy Baldwin?
2: Well, the idea of picking Whitmer or Baldwin for that matter is those are states that he need, that, that Biden would need to carry. And so the theory, I mean, why did JFK pick uh, Lyndon Johnson, right? I mean, you go sometimes you go after a state that you need to carry. There was never any love between uh, JFK and, and Lyndon Johnson. But I just think that Biden's um, efforts are bigger than that. I think Gretchen Whitmer from, you know, from Michigan, does it bring Michigan to, to Biden? You know Maybe, although there's a lot of dissension now, as you know, against Whitmer because she's holding tough to some of these stay-at-home rules, so uh, who knows where the polls will take her. Tammy Baldwin, um, and I've interviewed her and, and a lovely woman, um, openly gay senator from the state of Wisconsin. Does she bring in Wisconsin? It's another state that uh, Hillary Clinton lost by a few, but I just don't think they have the impact on the Democratic ticket than those other names that I mentioned do I just think that a, a Kamala Harris, I will say there's a lot of buzz about Stacey Abrams I think Reverend Al Shar- Sharpton is behind her. That's one I don't get because she's a lovely person I'm sure. Um, but you know at that time the, the the strongest arguments Democrats could make were all the elections they were losing but were coming close. And Stacey Abrams falls in the category look how close she came. Uh, you know, that that's not exactly a winner on the ticket. So I think if you're trying to reach African-Americans, and Biden should, Kamala Harris makes a lot more sense than that, although she's got some issues as former attorney general with, with how things, you know, she's a bit tough in that realm. She'd have to overcome that. But I think she's a strong candidate.
0: OK, we're going to go to break right now, but we come back. Uh, we'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our guest, uh, Paul Lisnick. Uh, political analyst for WGN TV in Chicago. We'll be right back after these messages. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that? injection inside or, or almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs so it would be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon My guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick a political analyst for WGN TV in Chicago He's also the uh, host of the morning report on WGN uh, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Central. He is the author of "Assumed Guilt, uh, which is a great book that you should check out, and you can see it in the corner over Paul Elder there. Uh, Paul, let's uh, try this. Uh, The disinfectant comment last Friday, every time I hear the president say something like that, I say, can we can things get any worse? Uh, you know, after his disinfected content uh, comment last Friday, over the weekend we have hundreds, maybe thousands of people calling nine one one, said they were sick and ill from ingesting, you know, Clorox or some other kind of bleach. Uh, a few weeks ago, the president was hell-bent on pushing this uh, drug, uh, that's an anti-malarial drug, as a cure for uh, the COVID-19. And that turned out to be a disaster. And, you know, that leads me to this rather philosophical question. Is Donald Trump an aberration or a sign that the political system is just completely broken and we may need to make serious changes? Something's not right here.
2: You know, I think when you evaluate what happened with regard to those comments, things didn't have to get as bad as they did if there could have just been some disclosure afterwards. And here's what I mean when he made the comments about internal light and, and the bleach and whatever he was talking about. You know, right afterwards, you had everything from his supporters online saying that's not what he said. Of course, immediately there were conservative media that came out and it was all it was all a left wing thing. And he never said that. And it's not what he meant. And on and on. Uh, and then, of course, the president himself the next day said it was sarcastic and he was simply making fun of the media. You know, that, which led the media to to just replay it and replay it and replay it, because it's very clear that it was not sarcastic. Um, even Dr. Burks, who tried to save the day, basically said, hey, he kind of thinks out loud. It's probably something he heard just beforehand, and so he thinks out loud. The truth is, if the president, if he says those kinds of things, which he should not, but if he did, and if afterwards he would have just said, you know, I probably shouldn't be thinking out loud, but I had heard about these theories. I, I was simply reflecting them with the doctors for them to study that's their world I, you know shouldn't have done that in front of a in front of a press conference but I know the doctors are studying what they need to it really could have gone away a lot quicker than it did but because his mo is to deny and blame and make it seem like it's your fault uh, that you heard what you heard, um, it just sends everything else into a spin with everybody having to go after it. Dr. Burke said on the Sunday morning shows, "I really wish the media would leave it alone." Well, how does the media leave it alone when it's the president who made it the story and he didn't need to? Uh,
0: what uh, you know, it seems to me the administration is also sending mixed signals about the need to keep socially separate. Uh, on one hand, and reopen the economy on the other hand. Um, over the weekend, uh, the vice Pres- like president, Mike Pence, he thought we'd have the virus crisis behind us by Memorial Day. Uh, and over, also over the weekend, Dr. fuller uh, president's uh, advisors on dealing with the pandemic, uh, said that we would likely uh, be dealing this uh, at least at the minute of the summer. Uh, and see that the other uh, example of that, where, you know, a couple weeks ago, the president was talking about reopening uh, the economy and sort of egging people on to get going again economically. Uh, The governor of Georgia, uh, Brian Kemp, takes the president's word and partially reopens the economy. By the way, I know you're a theater goer and you can go to the theater in Atlanta today (laughs) if you care to, um, which I don't think many people will. Uh, Doesn't the administration have to be more consistent it's just they're sending such mixed signals at a time of crisis.
2: It's easy to explain. The president knows that his reelection chances are tied to the economy. And if he can't get the economy going and things are where they are in November, where they are right now, he's already in trouble. But he would be in deep, deep, perhaps fatal trouble. The bottom line is this. Either the president doesn't want to say or maybe he doesn't understand the difference between states having the ability in the testing facilities to run the tests when they're taken the difference between that and the states having the tests themselves the swabs and the and the liquid whatever else you need that creates the test so what he keeps hearing from governor jb pritzker for example in illinois who will be doing his daily update in just a few minutes and, uh, and and many other governors around the state is we have the facility to do the to run the test We don't have the test materials to do it. And so either the president doesn't understand it or he doesn't want to admit it because, of course, his position always is there's plenty of tests and the rest of this stuff is that governors don't understand what's going on. To me, the answer, simple as it is, the tests have to exist. The tests have to be able to be administered. I mean, I have a friend who's a nurse. He's not been tested in the hospital in which he works because I don't know why. Maybe they don't want to test the nurses and, and, and learn what they might find out. We've got to know who has been exposed and who has the virus. Once you know that, you can smartly open up the economy, move things back to normal. But this notion of so many people on on, on media are saying, open it up. People will die anyway. We're all going to be exposed to it. So let's just see what happens. And survival of the fittest is just not a position I can ascribe to. Get the test, make the test, let it happen, and open up smartly.
0: Paul, thank you very much for joining us today on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Paul is a uh, host of The Morning Report on WGN-TV, uh, excuse me, The Political Report Sunday mornings on G, uh, WGN-TV at 9 a.m. Central. He is also the author, a legal analyst, and the author of a great book called Assume Guilt. Paul, thanks very much. A
1: we'll be back.
0: back. We'll be back with more Deadline DC after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC. My new column on the Hill is on two of the Joe Biden's potential vice presidential running mate choices. Even if the COVID-19 plague abates, Joe Biden will still have his work cut out for him if he becomes president. The coronavirus crisis may recede by January, but the economic devastation will linger long past that. Millions of Americans will still be struggling with the financial consequences of massive job losses. Many of those lost jobs will never return. The combination of tax revenue losses and the need for increased social services will leave state and local governments in a horrible financial bind. Joe Biden is no stranger to coping with economic disaster left behind by a Republican president. When he became vice president in 2009 under President Barack Obama, the nation was reeling under the ravages of the Great Recession caused by the meltdown of the financial industry while George W. Bush was president, a running mate uh, for Biden like uh, Elizabeth Warren or Massachusetts, or Governor Gretchen Whitmer of, of Michigan, uh, would have, who have practical economic experience, would add significant value to the National Democratic ticket. Whitmer went from being a state senator to a national player in a flash. She became governor in January 2019 and ascended to the national scene only a year later when she delivered the Democratic response to uh, President Trump's State of the Union address. Governor Whitmer can tout her hands-on experience dealing with the day-to-day realities of the pandemic. She has mandated tough restrictions on economic activity in Michigan. Opponents of social distancing egged on by the president have protested her actions to stave off the impact of the pandemic. But her tough love has paid off. A recent Fox News poll in Michigan indicated that voters there approve her handling of the coronavirus crisis by a wide margin. She gets much better marks in the state uh, than her frequent sparring partner, Donald Trump. The icing on Biden's cake is that she is young, she's 48, the chief executive of the battleground state, and the target of Donald Trump's titter tr- titter t- Twitter tantrums. As the governor of the swing state, Gretchen Whitmer would certainly be an asset of Joe Biden's running mate since his path to the White House runs through the industrial Midwest. If the governor ors Trump calls her, that woman in Michigan, uh, becomes Biden's running mate, she will have Donald Trump to thank for a promotion. The president's attacks on Michigan governor, he calls her Gretchen Half-Whitmer, for example, elevated that woman whose presence on the Democratic national ticket could enter his presidency. Donald Trump's attacks on Whitmer may make him feel good, but they are politically self-defeating. Another woman in the long line of women who get under the president's skin is Elizabeth Warren. There is a good argument for a woman like Whitmer or Warren to be Biden's running mate. Both women irritate Trump and the president's inevitable attacks on them would divert spleen away from Joe Biden. More to the point, there are sound political and policy reasons for a Biden-Warren ticket. Her economic expertise and her progressive following would be a good return on Biden's investment in the base State Senator. Like many Americans, Warren suffered a personal loss from the pandemic. Last week, her oldest brother, Donald, died from COVID-19. Senator Warren is a recognized authority of the devastating impact of the Great Recession on working families. She appeared on the national scene as an economic expert before she began her political career as a United States senator in 2010. She specialized in bankruptcy law, which she taught at Harvard at the Harvard University Law School. She focused her research on the devastating impact of bankruptcy on middle class families. Her study of bankruptcy led her to become a harsh critic of the financial industry. The 2008 Wall Street crash elevated her to the national political arena when she became champion of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was created by Congress in 2010 to fight abuses in the financial industry. She ran for the Democratic presidential nomination as an economic populist, and she, like Bernie Sanders, supported Medicare for all and the Green New Deal. Her progressive credibility would be a way for the Democratic standard bearer to extend an olive branch to the Sanders supporters who have not followed her, uh, who have not followed the Vermont senator into the Biden camp. Her presidential run also means she's been vetted by the media so there wouldn't, wouldn't be any shocking surprises during the fall campaign. It's unclear how long the health dangers posed by the coronavirus will persist, but it's crystal clear that the economic problems wrought by the crisis will be long-lasting. The economic expertise that Whitmer and Warren bring to the table would pay big dividends to Joe Biden this fall. You can read this column and my take on the presidential race in the Hill every Monday. Just Google Muckrack, that's M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, dot com front slash brad bannon now it's time for the progressive political provocative progressive political panel our guest today on the uh, panel is nick Guthman, the founder of our blue future which organizes young americans to be politically active nick's twitter handle is at nick Guthman, n-i-c-k-g-u-t-h-m-a-n all one word Joining Nick on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on get out the vote operations for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also involved in campaign finance reform and philanthropic efforts for cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J Grimaldi. If you wanna be part of the roundtable and talk directly to me and our guest, Call us at 888 leslie That's 888-653-7543. Okay, let's start with the panel. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I'd like to start off. Uh, there are probably at least 10 or a dozen uh, different women that have been mentioned as a possible running mate for Joe Biden. Uh now Joe Biden has said a couple of things. Well, he said a few things about his running mate. One, we know it's going to be a woman. Uh two, he said he's someone uh that he feels as in his words, simpatico with. Uh and three, uh someone that he feels could become a president uh uh you know, get up to speed as president very quickly. Uh, but I want to ask you about the political possibilities. Uh, which of the people that are women being mentioned do you think uh, would help Joe Biden most politically?
3: So uh, thanks for having me again on the show. I agree with uh, your, your lead in terms of Gretchen Whitmer and Elizabeth Warren's uh, uh, you know, ability to both unify the Democratic Party uh, and expand uh, the Democratic base electorate. Uh, the name I would add, uh, and I think it's super important to be talking about her, is uh, Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor in 2018 down in Georgia. Um, because you know, young young voters uh, really like her quite a bit, and and we're hearing a lot of energy and excitement uh, about her potential nomination. Uh, and and of course, you know, Black voters are the are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Um, And we need to uh, make sure we're doing everything we can to mobilize those two key constituencies, as well as all people of color, uh, Latinx voters, Asian-American and AAPI voters, um, voters with disabilities and all the rest. So, um, you know, I I think at the end of the day, it's my hope that Joe Biden will pick someone who is more progressive than he is, who can push him uh, and be a voice for the progressive movement in the White House. And I think all three of those women who we've mentioned would be fantastic presidents. Uh, And if it were up to me, they they would be at the top of the ticket instead of him. Okay. 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 Uh, Let me
0: ask you uh, this. I should mention that in the next few weeks, we're going to discuss uh, all of the major possibilities uh, of women who could be uh, Joe Biden's running mate. Uh, Next week, we're gonna talk about Stacey Abrams and uh, Kamala Harris in particular. Uh, let me ask you follow up on one thing. You said young people like Stacey Abrams a lot. Uh, why?
3: Um, I think because she speaks to uh, an America that we should be striving for. She speaks to an America that young people can get behind in terms of having equal access to the ballot. I mean, that has been her sort of staple post her governor uh, campaign. and And when you think of what young people are looking for in candidates. They want people who speak to their values. And I think Stacey Abrams does that. She is fairly young, uh, especially compared to uh, Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, she, she speaks in our language and she understands the pains and the reality of student debt and of, of you know, the devastating cost of health care, especially in this moment. So um, I think overall she's just a wonderful, energizing um, a potential nominee. And at her core, Stacey Abrams, I believe, understands the importance of organizing and making those investments in communities that have often been left behind by the national and statewide Democratic parties. And so having her voice and her decision-making as part of the campaign, I think would be extremely beneficial. And then having her at the decision table in the White House in just a few short months would make a world of a difference for communities that have been left out of political conversations in both parties.
0: Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now, but we come back. We'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, with our provocative, progressive political panel, Nick Guckman and Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back right after these messages. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. As usual, in the second half hour, we have our provocative progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today are the executive director and founder of Our Blue Future, Nick Guthman, and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Mark, uh, we, uh, in my uh comment at the beginning of the half hour i talked about two potential biden running mates uh governor gretchen whitmer of michigan and senator elizabeth warren uh, uh, of uh, wisconsin of massachusetts excuse me uh what are your takes on those two candidates
1: i think uh your assessment of both candidates was spot on, Brad. And uh, to just, I think, add some um, background uh, on both of the candidates. um, I think that uh, Governor Whitmer has, you know, risen the ranks, as you mentioned, uh, of the Democratic Party pretty quickly. um, And does, although she seems to be, um, you know, very popular in her state for the most part obviously you know having to enact these strict guidelines to protect her citizens isn't going to be popular with everyone but um i still think you know she's well received and a much higher level than president trump who as you said was um you know attacking her on on twitter um as he loves to do big tough guy you know with his keyboard or phone i should say on the toilet especially against women yeah exactly uh and uh you know i think The answer, though, to me, does seem to be uh, Elizabeth Warren. And I I think in addition to being vetted um, a lot deeper because she ran for president and has been in the spotlight for quite some time, Some polling, some interesting polling that I found uh, from um, Axios, uh, a new survey in the key swing states of Michigan and Wisconsin, which was commissioned by donors of color action, found Warren to be the overall candidate to beat um, with the most consistent support amongst white and black voters in both states. And she even outpolled Kamala Harris among black voters, which was a surprise. And then um, a a study or a poll that was done a little bit further back um, about four weeks ago, um, but it was pretty clear that uh, Vice President Biden was going to be the nominee at that point. um, uh, This was a YouGov uh, Economist nationwide poll of Democratic voters. um, And Uh, Elizabeth Warren led in every single age group with both men and women. Um, And additionally, uh, she was the person who was uh, mentioned the most whenever people were asked to list a candidate, not just to choose between other candidates. Um, And her, you know, policies, her push for policies like universal health care, a wealth tax, especially now when you see the financial issues that are going around the country um i think she is the type of voter that can help um Joe Biden not only unite the party, um, and, but also excite the base of democratic voters, because those are the policies that get young people invited, uh, excuse me, excited as, as, as Nick can attest to, um, but also her student loan forgiveness, um, and the things that she pushed for that Bernie also pushed for And Now, Joe Biden is seeming to, um, or has uh, added to his plan, like free public um, universities, Uh, I think those are all things that not only um, unite the party, but get the party excited, which as you know, Brad, it's all about turnout in these presidential elections. And uh, those are some things that I think Hillary Clinton um, had problems with from her left flank, like you had some Bernie voters who went over to Trump to Trump, not a, a huge margin, but not insignificant either. Um, and you also had some of them voting for, you know, Jill Stein. I think you'd have a lot less of a, of that sort of a problem to your left flank. Uh, with um, an Elizabeth Warren as your running mate. Um, And I also think that she's went head to head with Trump. She's taken his uh, ire with the Pocahontas comments and stuff and just kept going. So um, she's battle tested and she checks a lot of boxes. And I think as uh, Paul Lisnick mentioned in the first hour, um, although maybe a a Gretchen Whitner could help um, Vice President Biden win uh, Michigan, I think it's got to be a bigger plan than that, um, and, and uniting the party first and worrying about those swing states kind of secondary.
0: Okay. Uh, Nick, uh, if you look at the recent uh, national polling on a presidential race, uh, what you find is that Joe Biden has been uh, surging uh, with older voters. Uh, he's uh, very competitive Uh, with the president among seniors, uh, which was not the case with Hillary Clinton in 2016. Uh, Donald Trump won seniors by a wide margin. Uh, The question, though, uh, is, uh, I'm pretty sure when we look at the exit polls on November uh, 4th, uh, we're going to see that you know, a large majority of uh, young voters vote for Biden, the question is whether they're going to vote. So uh, what can you say? Do you uh, do you think that Joe Biden is going to be able to build enthusiasm among young voters, many of whom, as Mark said, set out the election in 2016 or voted for Jill Stein or actually voted for Donald Trump?
3: Yeah, it's, a, it's an important question. It's something we're thinking about every day at Blue Future and trying to understand what we can do to organize our, our generation to get out and vote. Because as you mentioned, he was not the first choice for many young people um, in all of the primaries. However, he is the best man for the job, uh, given the circumstances, and we have to beat Donald Trump. And young people understand that. And, you know, uh, I, I think that I saw a recent poll that about 80% or so of young people um, were, were ready to support Joe Biden, which was not a huge drop off from, uh, from the sort of percentages for Bernie uh, Sanders. So that's good. And I hope that, that the progress and momentum on that front will just continue. But I think the important thing to mention right now is we need to step up our infrastructure and, and our investments in youth organizing. And that needs to start with the Joe Biden campaign. Um, And they need to do more to do outreach, as I mentioned on the last time we spoke, uh, uh, Brad and Mark, uh, they need to do more outreach to the youth engagement organizations, the groups uh, like the Sunrise Movement, like the uh, Alliance for Youth Action, like United We Dream, like the uh, March for Our Lives and the Gun Violence Prevention Movement. It is a responsibility of the campaign to do that outreach, to get our, our generation involved, to to um, bring them to the table and, and make sure that our voices are being heard. And as for the DNC, I'll wrap up quickly. Uh, the DNC also has a huge role to play and currently are investing not one penny in youth organizing directly to uh, support college Democrats or anything like that. So, and, and I'm not sure why. And, and, and that's sort of the role that Blue Future gets to play is to help fill that gap, but not one penny of the Democratic Party's budget is going towards investing in youth organizing on college and high school campuses. And to me, that's unacceptable. And it will be a lot harder to win.
0: Yeah, I would think so. That seems like a grave oversight, my opinion. That's all for today, folks. Today, that's all for today, folks, for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, Thank you to my guests, Paul Lisnick of WGN-TV, Nick Guthman of View Future, and progressive political activist Mark Romaldi. I'm here Mondays at 3 p.m. If the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, stay healthy,
1: and stay home.